keiaku nui, keiaku rahi, rarau mai ki te kāpunipuni tanga o ngā tanifa hikuroa o te motu, ki te whenua ahurei o Waitangi. Welcome to Mata with me, Mihingarangi Forbes, made with the support of Te Māngai Pāho and New Zealand On Air. This special episode is recorded at Waitangi and features an extended interview with the Minister of the Crown who cut his teeth here on the treaty grounds many decades ago. It is, of course, protester-turned-politician, New Zealand First's Shane Jones. Tēnā koe e te minata. Um, I ke atu koe ki te pai o rātana haramai ki Waitangi. You said uh, to that pai pai at rātana to come to Waitangi to have a kōrero. And they came, and their hundreds, they came, mm. and they asked on the marae, where was Shane? Where was Matua Shane? <laughs> uh, well, if I can just go back to Ratana. I know that there are rare opportunities, and the pai pai is often one of those um, opportunities where you can be direct and put the kaupapa forward. <clears throat> but I did feel that it was a bit awkward at Ratana. Um, quite apart from the identity of the speakers. So that's what I meant. No, no, this type of corridor, don't bring it here to Ratana, which is more of a rangi maria kotahitanga paonga ariki place, come to Waitangi. Mm. So, no, no, I will um, fulfil my characteristic rhetoric uh, later today. <laughs> but it, it, wasn't a, um, it wasn't a statement I was making to be a clown, this has always been in my lifetime a place where the dust swirls and the corridor was laid down. And a key point I wanted to make was um, there are most certainly differences of approach and differences of opinion, but uh, I'm just nervous that they don't get catastrophized. Mm. There was certainly dust swirling at Ratana and, uh, and you know... I- we saw a different Shane Jones there on the pie, a little bit more pukuriri, and I think some of the name-calling, taurekareka for one, their words, not mine. Mm. Um, yeah, why do, you yeah. Think, why do you think people are directing those kind of slurs I, towards you? I have been criticised for not um, rising above it. Um, and one of my whanaunga at Ratana, she said, Shane, please don't use your knowledge to deprecate us. I mean, it wasn't Māori, she said it. Yeah. Mm. So that's a fair that's a fair criticism that someone like myself. But I I found it really odd that a young Tuhoi boy um, should number one be speaking there. And number two, um, given the amount of mahi that uh, over the years Winston and I have done in Tuhoi, without it and it's totally unheralded. So, yeah, but I'm also sending a message to the younger generation coming through, these cultural Dalai Lamas who may have been through Panekiritanga or something like that. When you stand and uh, talk to me, if you're not going to deliver it with dignity and respect, don't cry when I serve it right back to you because that was my upbringing, being put in our places, sat down by the tohungas of that time, including Pumi from Tainui, including my own uncle's... uh, Reverend Kingi, uh, Reverend uh, Matutaira, Ihaka. So it's a little bit of a message too to the young, to the young ones coming through. I mean, I'm happy that there's a whole generation coming to recover the pai pai. And Hedini Mohamed made the point that they're probably stronger in a lot of Marae culture and bilingualism than my generation uh, were. Uh, but 
when you sort of encounter someone like myself, you'd be on your best behaviour. Well, they're here and they've turned up in their hundreds and they're mm. here for a wānanga of some kind. They came talking about unity and there was a call for a Māori parliament yesterday yeah. as well. How would a Māori parliament, uh, Te Whare Orunga, we've had one before, could you work with that? You know, what I'm going to say today is that there are a host of esoteric pursuits and concerns and then there is the burden of... Um, social and economic challenges. And I live by three yearly cycles, so I know what it's like to be booted out. I'm going to exhaust every inch of what kaha I have to address those practical material challenges and endeavour to create advancement for our for our whānau in that regard. I'm not going to spend any time, I'm not going to spend any effort on advancing what I regard given the character of the challenges we face on esoteric matters of Indigenous sovereignty, a new Māori legislature, um, and other such matters. If others want to, they're entitled to, but I'm not going to. Okay, that's a no to that. Let's put that to side and let's talk about more things that you have been talking about. This year, the Kaupapa's Toitu Hefakaputanga Toitu Tetiriti you won't and don't support the ACT Party's treaty principles bill past the first reading, and your party has its own treaty policy. It involves the Waitangi Tribunal. So talk to me about the refocusing of the scope. Yeah, well, some of the remarks I've made about the Waitangi Tribunal probably could have been a bit more felicitous. But what we want to do is just to review, after 50 years of its operation, its purpose, um, what worth is it creating by pursuing these large kaupapa claims, on whose behalf is it doing it? And is it time, as we race towards 2040, to refocus and repurpose the future Waitangi Tribunal? I don't have a... I I have no well-conceived or well-written a new template for it, but I'm really keen for Tama, because it's under his jurisdiction, to find a couple of people to review it. Um, one name has already been given to me, that's Dame Sean Elias. But look, those decisions will be made by the government. But anyone who thinks we're going to turn it into a two-papaku, no. But, you know, I want people to be kind of fair-minded and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Any organisation that's been around for 50 years... Had it if you start in 1975 and go back to 1925, a lot happened over those 50 years, and a lot has happened over the 50 years that will be arrived at next year. So that's why we've wanted to review it. It's not really an organisation like other organisations, is it? Though because it was set up in 1975 in response yeah. to treaty grievances, and our our ancestors had been writing and petitioning the government, all yeah. falling on deaf ear. So, I mean, I guess, what what do you think the original scope of the Waitangi Tribunal was and what's the issue with that today? I look at New Zealand where it is today and I look at um, the multi-ethnic, multi-dimensional and I'm horrified by the prospect by 2040 there could be 7 million people living in New Zealand. So if iwi are concerned at the moment about what they sense as marginalisation... How come no iwi leader is standing with me and challenging the mass immigration coming into New Zealand? Not one single iwi leader. 
But no, they carry on about these esoteric things to do with um, a new parliament or principles of the treaty. And every year, another 100,000 of migrants come to New Zealand. To me, that's more of a threat to our coherence and to the foundation influences that have built New Zealand. Sadly, I've tried to campaign on it, but I've always found I've been a voice in the wilderness. No iwi would ever stand with me on this issue. To be fair to iwi and iwi leaders, though, they have never had a position of any influence or power in immigration in the first place. Well, I I put to you that um, iwi leaders and people in a position of influence there, if you want political power, take it. If you want political power, create momentum, build a kaupapa and drive it. Now, no doubt that's what they believe they're doing after Tūranga Waiwai, but to what end? Come back to the kaupapa claims because I just need to, to come back to oh, this okay. Waitangi now, thing. On the claims, so, tell, so tell me what your issue is. So, so you believe that there was a scope for the Waitangi Tribunal in the early days with the historic claims and all those. Mm-hmm. You have an issue with the kaupapa claims. Tell me about that. Yeah, so... The constitutional claim, if I can start there, you know as well as I do, I think Paul Reeves did some constitutional thing, Margaret Wilson had some constitutional thing, Satipani was involved in a Mm -hmm. constitutional thing. If you want to change the constitution of your country, I'm of the view, because I'm a parliamentarian and I live or die by democratic will, you go and seek the endorsement of the country. And I just do not see the mahi that the tribunal is doing in that regard is either a priority for the uh, for the whānau or indeed something that's going to be embraced at this point in time by voters. So I ask myself, it, on it, whose behalf is the Waitangi Tribunal doing this? It, it's a court of inquiry. It does it barely has powers. It's not binding. All they're able to do is to review and do that important mahi with those amazing minds and those experts that are in there, yeah. and then it's for government to do. So are, are you asking too much of the well, Waitangi Tribunal? Well, if you're going to have a constitution inquiry, it has to be on the binary. It has to be beyond the binary conception of the Crown and Māori. Now, I know I sound unpopular saying this, but I say to a lot of the iwi leaders who perhaps want that, come and live in my world. You know, we have a rapidly changing demography in New Zealand, and unless parliamentarians stand against that then matters, and, and I do. I, I, I'd rather see our own people and our own infrastructure and our own country resilience boosted before we bring too many more people into the country. But on the question of the Waitangi Tribunal, I just fear it could be mission creep. Because let's face it, after the historical claims and the regional inquiries, there is a question to be raised, well, what is it, what's your purpose now? And you know, you could argue that, well, each week, each month, there's a new decision made by the Crown that is arguably um, at odds with uh, iwi conception of the treaty. And we've got the smoking one, and we've got the real one, and Ngaitarangi have got their claim. But, um, you know, I say to you, Mihi, a lot of those changes, we went out and asked for the votes of New Zealanders for those changes. Let's come back to the Waitangi Tribunal because it's the only place in the country that Māori can actually go to sure. challenge the, the government's failures. And so 
until, you know, some might argue until Article 2 and 3 have been achieved by the Crown, then there is a place for kaupapa claims like health. Um, when you look at the Tamariki Māori have the highest hospitalisation of preventable diseases, let's mm. use rheumatic fever, and you and I know, both know that yep. if you have rheumatic fever, then you're more likely to die yep. of heart disease when you're older. So who who's going to be challenging the Crown for the failure of those 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 gaping gaps? So probably I just have a different conception. I just cannot see how the Waitangi Tribunal, in focusing on these broad, large, rolling claims, is going to change the frontline delivery of services, and God knows they need to change. And I've ended up putting my effort and um, sweat and equity into politics, into campaigning, into electoral fights to affect those changes. But I don't want anyone thinking that um, New Zealand First is going to eradicate the tribunal. We don't. Number one, we don't have the power to. Number two, we don't have a mandate to. Well, but we certainly but, are going to review you, it. But if you're going to do re- redefine the scope and you're going to like get rid of co-papa plans, give me the plan of closing the gap in health. Well, the only way you can close the gap in health is not through the Waitangi Tribunal. You've got to refocus the delivery at the front end reduce the amount of bureaucracy in, uh, involved and do, funnily enough, what David Seymour told the Iwi leaders. He'd rather, and I think New Zealand First has always hankered after this, find a method of delivery that works at the front. What is it? Well, Because both parties are trying to redefine and rewrite principles, yet you don't have a method. Find oh, a no, method no, you're no, talking no. about. What is it? Because yeah. you can't throw away something without yeah. replacing it with something that's successful. Yeah, see... I'll be really pithy and clear here. It is my view that shoving the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi in legislation will no longer act as a, as a, as a lever to change the quality and the conduct of behaviour at the front. Fund more agencies, fund more entities, the Māori Women's Welfare League, Hapu, Iwi, whoever is making a material difference at the front. That's what I mean by material advancement. Of course I know that uh, the Waitangi Tribunal will continue to host claims, but I've been around in this game long enough to know that the ability to convert whatever dicta they come up with into a frontline response, a politician's got more power, I would say more power, good or bad, over that than the tribunal. Is there a chance that you, uh, who actually operates as the Crown, um, looking to redefine the scope of the Waitangi Tribunal would in fact actually extend the wrongdoings of the Crown by changing something without the support of Māori? Well, I don't think a review should be um, catastrophized, and a review would have to involve, obviously, the main users of the tribunal, that's the legal fraternity, people who have had a proven track record at working there, the members of the tribunal, um, may even be retired um, judges who themselves have to cope with some of the flow-on of the uh, tribunal. Now, I, I think a review is, uh, is like... Um, Rather than seeing it as, a, as, as either a negative or a step backwards, it's future-proofing an organisation that was still obviously um, embraced by many Māori advocates. But we've got to make sure 
that what it does is fit for purpose over the next 15 years because um, I see the next 15 years as an opportunity to not only stimulate but to boost from here on greater forward momentum about our people. At the weekend, you wrote a piece where you said that the treaty and Te Tiriti should be read together. How do you understand, where does He Whakaputanga fit in? How do you read that? Okay, so what, just on the matter of the treaty, uh, I'm, I'm influenced by Maturata's view. It was a bilingual, indivisible document. So I do not buy into the dismemberment of the treaty. Um, I suspect that's come out of um, the University of Auckland, whereas one is a particular charter and the other is irrelevant. That's just never a view that I grew up with. It's not a view that I endorse. In relation to Te Whakaputanga... Oh, just on that, you know, to be fair to those rangatira who signed Te Tiriti and not the treaty, mm. are you saying that they gave permission for these signatures to be transferred to another document that didn't mean the same thing? Very few people who are voluble on the treaty have read the Kohimarama Treaty Conference. I have. The Kohimarama Treaty Conference settled once and for all what at that time, and those rangatiras like Tamati Wakanini then were still alive. And I'd encourage people that are on this new uh, flight to dismember the treaty to go back and read the Kohimarama Treaty of Waitangi Conference. Uh, perversely enough, held in Kohimarama, you wouldn't think so today. So that's why I just have, I, I'd take a different view. On the question of the Whakaputanga, well, I'm from Te Opodi and our Tupuna Mahia signed it. He didn't sign it at the same time as other Tupuna, Panakareo and others did. And uh, I've always conceived it to be uh, uh, an economic trade instrument uh, in terms of uh, enabling Patuone and the others to engage in trade and um, prove their worth. Hmm. But I, um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't plan to spend any time or effort trying to breathe life into Whakaputanga. Th- this is why I'm not interested in UN Indigenous Rights Doctrine like Moana in them. I- I'm a treaty person, and with the creation of the treaty, there was the fusion of two traditions. That's why I regard it as indivisible. Mm. So I may sound a little bit old-fashioned these days. I don't buy into this separate UN doctrine of indigenous rights. No, but rights. You're, asking, you're asking the listener to consider the treaty, Te Tiriti, and the Kohimarama outcome. Yeah. So it's a series of hui. I'm asking, just four years earlier, the British Crown acknowledged he whakaputanga, so it must be part of the conversation. Yeah, no, no, it's a part, well, you can go back earlier. You can go back to the letter of Titori. Well, just go back and, to and, he whakaputanga. And if you go right back to Hongi, when he came back five years after Waterloo, and they said, Hongi will make you the king. Hongi knew there's no way he could be the king. In the cup of the hand of his own people, he'd be squashed to death. So there, there's a host of uh, events that took place. You're That's absolutely right. right. But the treaty is the seminal event. Yes. And the Whakaputanga does feed into the treaty, and it's got similar language because the same people well, translate it. Well, I don't know. The, the language in Whakaputanga is much stronger. And as you say, it was about trade because it was about a flag, mm. but it was also that Māori would not let anyone else um, make laws in their country for their people. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, things changed, discussions had happened, but it's hard, it's a, it's a long bow to, to think that those rangatira who signed He Whakaputanga then gave away their tēnō rangatira tanga just five years later. Yeah, and no, I understand what you're saying.
but I say to you, we're in 2024 and we, we've got a situation largely through our own um, inactivity where we're marching from 5 million people to 6 million people to 7 million people. I'm just astounded why either the media or much of Māori leadership thinks that the answer lies in 1835 and 1840 where every year more people are going to come to our country because it's a haven in terms of where they've come from. Perhaps they're saying the answer lies in equity and equality so they could also make some decisions about immigration and things like that. I want to talk about your letter. You you suggest that Māori need to move on, and we're talking about it today, from the victimhood mentality mm. and to adopt their ancestors' adaptability and acquisition. And I wonder, isn't that exactly what Iwi Trusts and Runanga around the country are doing? They're adapting to government legislation, seeking to acquire wealth. Some of them are very wealthy yeah. and to be in a better fi- financial position. So who, who are the victims you're talking about? Oh, when I use that word, I've had a gutsful of the concept of decolonisation. I've had a gutsful of blaming the colonial burden of what I see in Kaitai and Kaikoe and various other parts, parts every day. Now, you have to be careful that you don't victim um, shame. But for me, rangatiratanga, for me, um, manamotuhake, or even our own language, I'm, I'm about identifying what are the day-to-day challenges and this notion that somehow we can continually rely on the past as an excuse for our current situation or the future, I'm just never, ever going to agree with that. Would you have called yourself a victim when you were part of Te Kawariki back in the 80s? No, no. The, the, the Kawariki in 1984, I'll tell you a story about that. Kawariki in 1980, no, we went down to the Tūranga Waiwai Hui called by the Ecumenical Council of Churches, Rob Cooper and Manuka Henare. I'm not entirely sure what their role was. And then we headed back home, and our focus uh, on the Kawariki was rights. In fact, I've still got the pamphlet. It was uh, Have your rights, rights been for language, fulfilled? fishing rights, land rights. Oh, I think we've done a tremendous job in recovering rights. The issue that we haven't advanced is material advancement. Mm. And um, you could say that the rights have only benefited a narrow fraction, and that's a valid criticism about some runanga. But I think that's a bit petty. The The fact of the matter is a lot of the rights that have been restored, and I, I mean, I find it very satisfactory, they're not big enough, they're not extensive enough to deal with a multi-generational um, hardship but we should celebrate what the hell we have achieved in that sort of 30-year period. How does your coalition um, think that Ngāpuhi should be settled? Do you think it should be a one commercial entity or would you listen to the people? Because 72% of them voted for a six-taifenua regional um, settlement. What are your thoughts? I don't know if there's a lot of energy in our government um, to expend on the Ngāpuhi settlement if the Hokainga aren't organised. Um, my personal view all along, which I've never hidden, is that Ngāpuhi needs a big tent approach. And maybe a model is Ngāti Whātua, where they have an overarching runanga, and um, elements of Ngāti Whātua have their own assets. But my preference, because Ngāpuhi... Ngāpuhi is like a microcosm of the Māori people. So many people say they're Ngāpuhi, just as so many people say they're Māori. And the, the, the balance is to get a central, powerful resource and also give due recognition to the elements that make up Ngāpuhi. Mm. 
lots of people may say they're from Ngāpū. Engari e ora ana Ngāpū o Ngāpuhi. You know, when you're here at Waitangi, you can feel mm. the life and the energy and um, the reo and the tikanga and the kawa. I mean, they argue about it on the marae, you know, yeah, whose who's yeah. kawa is going to stand here. So, yeah. I mean, compared to other parts of the country, this is a very Māori place to be. It always has been. And, and I feel like, you know, when you talk from the Crown, as a Crown agent, really, as an mm. MP, about how Ngāpuhi's not organised enough, it's, it's kind of unfair when you consider the resources the Crown has had for the last 184 years mm. and the position of Māori. You know, Ngāpuhi... Um, they signed the treaty for a brief period of time. The capital was here. Once that capital left Waitemata, and it left after Rewiti, Api Haitakawa's nephew, if I'm not mistaken, came and petitioned the Crown to go to Waitemata. They wanted the Crown there as a buffer between Waikato and Ngāpuhi, and they had every reason to want the Crown to go there. So there has been a long period of neglect and marginalisation in the North, which... From time to time, I've done something about as a politician, but those uh, good deeds do not go unpunished. But the reality is that uh, in, a, in, a, in a part of New Zealand like Northland, unless there is a substantial core amount of power and capital, very hard to change the lives of people. Are uh, Māori Indigenous? Pardon? Are Māori Indigenous? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, we're tangata whenua. We trace our whakapapa. Uh, as uh, Julian asked me this question, Shane, uh, your rangatira Winston said that we're not indigenous to New Zealand. And I said, Julian, you've spent a whole part of your career proving that we came from Hawaii with all the corridor of Ngātoki Matafaurua, Mātātua. I said, uh, when we go to Marquesas or Rarotonga, the language in Manahiki is not the same, but it's remarkably similar. I said, that's all Winston was saying. We're part of the big Pacific community. Was Winston wrong? The leader's never wrong, <laughs> under no circumstances. Can you see that kind of kōrero, though, how infuriating that must be for tangata whenua who are barely holding on to their motuhaki here in Aotearoa? Mm, mm. I would say to our people, this is electoral politics. You may hear from me... David Seymour, but the god of wind blows our words away. We're politicians, and in the heat of debate, rhetoric is deployed, whether it's uh, left or right of politics, and we shouldn't actually cling and use those words as a justification for remaining angry. Are you saying that well, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't believe anything you say? Is that what you're saying? When you're in, elec when you're in an election, <laughs> you are fighting for every iota of attention. And, for example, I said that uh, you could kill every cow tomorrow and you wouldn't change the climate. Obviously, that's hyperbole. Of course, we need to be very mindful of the climate. And, you know, we deploy rhetoric. I'd argue that some of the best people are deploying hyperbole and rhetoric are our, our, our Māori orators themselves. So you've got to conceive, like my nephew, Penny, talking about, I'll let uh, my figurative gun do the talking. So i just say to our own people, you know, toughen up. That's the nature of politics, rhetoric. Tēnā koe. <laughs> Ka te kua kēhi, te kaupapa mō tēnei wā. Ka nui te mihi ki ngā ringa hora, kia irirangi te motu, me te mā ngai pāho. We'll be back with more mata in March. 
Meanwhile, you can check out our interview with ACT leader David Seymour, recorded here at Waitangi. Nohoro mai. <laughs>